Hello, and welcome to the Net Politics Podcast. I'm Adam Siegel, the director of the Council on Foreign Relations Digital and Cyberspace Policy Program. Today, we welcome Michael Solmeyer, who was uh, in the office of Secretary of Defense working on cyber uh, issues, and now is the director of the Project on Conflict in Cyberspace at Harvard's Belfer Center. Michael, thanks for being with us. Pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. So 2015, the Defense Department releases its second iteration of the cyber strategy. Tell us a little bit about where you think we are and and how we're going to move forward on it. The strategy uh, was uh, released in the middle of uh, last year and is really broken into two parts. First is a broader narrative that explains where the department uh, is headed and hopes to be heading in uh, cyber. And the second part is an implementation plan. And I think that's the real novelty of the 2015 strategy is that it actually is transparent and clear about many of the steps that the department has set as itself for for a goal to achieve by uh, certain deadlines. And usually you get these strategy documents that come out and it's a lot of narrative, a lot of prose, but it leaves the reader wondering how do you actually achieve a lot of these objectives. And so what's happened is that the whole department has had to come together for a variety of IPTs and uh, lines of effort and uh, whatever organizational construct you want to call them to work through each of the core five objectives for the strategy. So you've got Cyber Command, CIO, Cyber Policy, the services, the commands. A lot of folks are involved in actually trying to get this right. And of the five implementation points, which, which one do you think is probably furthest along? And kind of a secondary question is, which is the most important to get right? I think in terms of getting it right, the, the defense objective is, is critical. I say that in large part because if you look at what Secretary Carter begins almost every series of remarks about cyber with, he talks about the need to make sure the Department of Defense Information Network is secure and that the weapon systems and uh, related uh, systems and programs are secure as well. And without that confidence and peace of mind, then it's very difficult to assess your, your readiness elsewhere across the force. So that is where I, I suspect, and you know, I've been out of government now for, for a while, so I'm, I'm not able to say which is the furthest along, but just uh, reading those kinds of speeches, my guess would be that they are uh, focusing very, very hard, as they have been before, on uh, on those questions of getting the Doden more and more secure and hardened. Related to the defense question is the, the ability to establish deterrence in, in cyberspace. And the White House has sent its deterrence strategy to the Congress, as it was re- required to do. But we've heard a lot of criticism that because they haven't demonstrated offensive capabilities or because we haven't seen the use of cyber weapons, it's very hard to establish deterrence. So where do you think we we stand with that, and what is the thinking uh, in in the DOD on deterrence these days? In general, uh, my view is that uh, the more we're able to talk about these topics in terms of deterrence and cyberspace in a public way, the better. Uh, You can only use the strategic ambiguity argument to a certain point, and I think we're past that point. 
So in, in that sense, any publication of pretty much any thinking on this topic is better to advance the debate, even if it generates concerns or criticism that it's not specific enough or it's, it's not holistic enough, whatever it may be. In general, I think it's better to be discussing it openly than not. For my own personal views uh, at this point, uh, my biggest priority and suggested priority is to really focus on the classes of activities that we really think we need to deter, where we think that defense is inadequate. My concern is that we, we think about deterrence as a backstop for everything, but reality is that known vulnerabilities and unpatched vulnerabilities that we know about remain the number one vector through which exploits and hacks are perpetrated. I, I don't know how you deter walking away with money that's left on the lawn overnight. You can defend against that very easily by, say, just bringing the bags of money indoors overnight. Forget locking the door. Forget having a door for a moment. But the biggest concern I have is that we look too much too quickly for deterrence and are not focusing enough on very practical standards for defense across government. But nonetheless, we're talking about deterrence, so you got to deter the, the major kinds of destructive activity. In my mind, that's what we really need to be focusing our deterrent effort on. The trick here is that while we need to always ensure that our response would be proportional, it need not be symmetric. And so I believe that the main credible deterrent we can offer is actually not a cyber response. We have to make it clear to adversaries that if they decide to hack us, compromise the integrity of a very important critical infrastructure, it's unlikely the response is just going to be in cyber. We're going to come after you in all sorts of other ways where you're vulnerable and where you will feel pain. That's, I think, uh, probably you need the more delicate massaged language, but just at a personal level, I think we have to start shaping that deterrence conversation around uh, leaving the domain when we're talking about making sure there's a credible response. And often, in parallel to the discussion on deterrence, is the discussion on, on norms. And we, we know the State Department has been very involved in international engagement and trying to shape those norms through the group of government experts at the UN and a series of the London process, the, the cyber conferences. What role do you think that the DOD plays in international engagement Cyber is now part of our alliance treaties with Australia and Japan and others. What is the Pentagon doing on that front, and what are some of the challenges? I have to hand it to the State Department and the folks in the Cyber Coordinator's Office. Uh, to the best of my understanding and view, they have always sought to include folks from the Office of the Secretary of Defense when they work through international engagement, either on a continuing basis with a country or opening a new dialogue. That's been, uh, I think, a real success story in terms of bridging that historical divide between uh, state and defense. So in, in that regard, that's a good news story. But that's, that's sort of necessary but insufficient, ultimately. I, I think the real opportunity for militaries is to think about mill-to-mill -mill cooperation in some less traditional ways. Uh, the, the diplomatic engagement, I think, is nicely institutionalized already. Uh, 
uh, not just through government communications and meetings, but through a whole source of non-governmental conferences and workshops as well. Uh, less developed, but I think becoming more and more important is thinking about building partnership capacity for cyberspace capabilities. And, and here I'm, I'm certainly not talking about offensive capabilities, but there's a lot we can do to help our partners and our allies improve their own defenses. And you can't come at this from a standpoint of saying, we're the U.S. government, we're so good at our defenses, we're the gold standard, and you should match us. I think you have to come at it with a little bit more humility and say we're all working through this painfully together. And in fact, because the United States was the first to adopt and develop so many of these technologies, in some sense, we are more vulnerable than a lot of others. But I think you'll see an evolution of the building partnership capacity agenda that the Defense Department has to include uh, cybersecurity. The twist will be, how do you really involve the private sector? You know, so much of infrastructure and architecture and the actual programs are not property of the U.S. government. These aren't tanks. These aren't planes. These aren't ships. It's code. These are programs, often off the shelf. And you get to a point of wondering how to appropriately work with private sector security providers, uh, your CrowdStrikes of the world or, or others, about uh, bringing them into a conversation because maybe it doesn't have to be the government that's always providing the capacity that a partner really needs. Uh, Michael, thanks very much and thanks for being with us today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me.